This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 323, brought to you by C2E2 and iFanboy members like you. Lights are fading, the feeling is back. This is the closest thing to disaster. Keep on fading, snow white into black. The kind of thing you laugh about after we were stuck. Stacking misery for long days in an ugly town. Hey, 
Welcome to the iFanboy.com Pick of the Week podcast, episode 323. I am Josh Flanagan. I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. And the internet's Paul Montgomery, who is uh, in for uh, Ron Richards this week. Hello. Yeah. Ron is out. Uh, he's hobnobbing and, and, and fancying himself one of, the, one of the image comics insiders. He's going to be a founder by the time he's done with it. The I have no doubt. I have no doubt. They'll be like, and they'll be like, so what comic did you create? And he'd be like, <laughs> he's at the he's the Image Comics Expo because he's one of the lucky ones. Because he, he lives in the city where they're doing it. That's really helpful. Yeah. It's very easy for him to get there. I live on the other side. There, there are there are conventions going on right now on either side of me by five thousand miles. That'll happen. iFanboy.com is our website. We like comic books, so we started it up so we could talk about them and write about them and do things like that that have to do with comic books. Every week we read a bunch of them. One of us gets the job of writing the pick of the week. They put that up on the website sometime on Wednesday. Sometimes it's later than others. And listen, we, I, I know it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Nobody said anything. I stepped up to the plate. Listen, nobody said you did anything wrong. It's just that it went up really late and it doesn't look good. I know that there's a real good explanation. Shh. Shh. It's going to be okay. If I was here, I'd pet, I'd pet your head, but I know, I'm not. I, know. I have soft hair. Uh, <laughs> they write the pick of the week. Then we come here on the podcast. We talk about that pick of the week and other books from the week that we have something to say something about. That's really the whole formula. Do you have something to say about this book? Yes. Well, then let's do it. We'll let you know before we get going. We are going to talk about what happens in the books from this past week, so there will be spoilers. If you haven't read your books, you might want to come back later. If not, press forward without fear. Press, press forward? Oh. Press. <laughs> I was not. You were I meant like it. a forward button. It's different I had, syntax. I had the pick of the week. Steal my thunder. Sorry. I had the pick of the week. was Fantastic Four 603, and I wasn't expecting it. Even though it's been a great book, we've picked it many times. It, it was a week with a lot of heavy hitter books although it was also a week that felt very light even though it kind of wasn't it was a weird it was a weird week it's been a weird it's been a weird week but fantasy four 603 by jonathan hickman and barry kitson continues what i think has been a fantastic run but and you know what it's been it's been a much longer run than i realized i didn't realize it's been like three years that hickman's been writing fantastic four it's hard to track with all the the number changes and yeah i actually looked looked it up for the for the pick of the week and he started in 2009 it's been two and a half, almost three years, and it makes you feel old. First of all, second of all, because uh, I feel I still feel like he's the new writer of Fantastic Four. He's been telling pretty much one long story in in, in those three, two and a half, three years. Now, normally, uh, that can be a bad thing because you get after a while you get sort of sick of it. You want to you want to see something something new to go on. I think that happened with Green Lantern. But what Hickman's done is he's told little arcs in those. In those two and a half years, that that when put together, add up to this big story that's coming to a head right now in this current arc, which is called Forever. And I think that's the magic of comics in that when it works, and when you have these giant arcs that come together, and you see all the pieces falling into place, and it, and it does make sense, and it doesn't feel contrived, and it flows naturally and organically. It's really hard to beat that when you're with your years-long superhero epic stories. And Fantastic Four is. A book that you don't think of having that kind of big epic tale, but it should be. It should be a big sci-fi romp, and that's what this storyline is. There's a giant space battle, and it feels very big and very operatic. There's lots of elements. There's a, there's a Galactus fighting mad celestials who form a Voltron-esque giant celestial, that then they beat Galactus down, and, and he falls to the Earth possibly dead, like, it, like the reference in Mark Miller's run. Um, he at least falls in the same position that he did in Mark Miller's run. Then you have uh, Johnny Storms back with his with his army from the negative zone. Then you have the kids. He's got the, he's got the witch blade. 
He's got the Witchblade on his arm. The kids are helping from the FF book, and they're funny, and they're a bit of comic relief in the midst of the madness. And you've got the badass moment with Sue Storm, who's really flourished under Jonathan Hickman's run. She's made Sue into a really great character. It feels like that moment in the story where all hope is lost. You're, the, your heroes are fighting against an enemy you can't hope to defeat, and and then the cliffhanger is gives you a possible reason to be hopeful, as opposed to you know, in addition to knowing that these characters won't actually lose because that's what superhero comics are about. But uh, if it felt big, it felt operatic, it felt grand, it felt the, the the tone of it felt appropriate to this kind of big story. I, when I put it down, I felt like I had been in the midst of a giant sort of space opera, which is what this this story is and should feel like. And uh, it was just wonderful. Ton, tons of fun. He's really put, putting all the pieces together from all the different arcs. There's little bits of it. There's the humans. There's the four cities. Everything we, we see now. And there's even a little bit of from the from his shield run and his shield book. If you, you feel like everything he's had his hands in in the last two and a half years is coming together now in this particular storyline. Yeah, it's 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 it's, re- it's really satisfying in that way. And I think I've been sort of a, a fair weather fan of the book. I liked it a lot in the beginning with with Eaglesham, and I think the only reason I sort of fell off of it was because you know some of some of the artists that were chosen to replace Eaglesham on this and FF uh, weren't exactly you know to, to my liking. So I, I kind of fell off that way. But it's it's always been interesting, and there's and there's a lot of writers, and especially at Marvel, who are like big idea writers and who have lots of great like mad science ideas. But um, something that's really satisfying in this arc, in this issue, is that Hickman's able to tie up, like you said, all of those seemingly like like loose threads th- from throughout, these unrelated things, and, and bring them together into a really like apocalyptic kind of battle. And it's very satisfying when you get to see a story that bridges all of these sort of, I don't know, nodes from from several years of, of stories and the the bigness really, you know, comes to the fore here. Has this been interfered with, I guess, by, by other stuff going on at Marvel? Not really. It's been basically Fantastic Four and, and then this, the companion book FF on their own. They've been telling their stories in their pocket corner of the universe. There hasn't really been any crossing over that I can remember. Yeah, if, I mean, if there has, it probably hasn't affected it. You had Spider-Man and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like they they bring in Spider-Man even though he's got like so many other things to do and other teams that he's been on. And so if if anything this book maybe sort of affects other books in that you know they take they took the human torch off the table and but now he's back again with it it looks like he has the witchblade. It's yeah, it's something it from the negative zone apparently, but and there's an, there's another great moment that I, th- I think Josh would like in uh Black Bolt giving the thumbs up. That's basically how he gives military orders. <laughs> they they ask him wh- whether he wants to to follow this group or, or not, and and he just gives a thumbs up. I don't know, very uh, Caesar in his in that way. It's rough because if you misunderstand that thumbs up, exactly, things can <laughs> things can go really wrong. He's a great military leader, but only in binary circumstances. It's either <laughs> yes or no. There's no there's gray no, area. There's no nuance with, with his decision making. It's just yes or no. Seems like Patton. Um, yeah, basically. And Barry Kitson has doing, been doing the art for mostly uh, off, you know, for the last couple of issues. And he's, he's, he's really solid. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of a description that doesn't make him sound like an insult, but it, he's a solid comic book artist. He's, he's he elegant. Does, he's, he's elegant. He does storytelling really well. He does the characters really you, He does a great Sue Storm. You get, the, you get the acting on the faces. You, you know, there's frustration. There's, there's fear. There's hope. There's great cosmic stuff in here. Yeah. There's, I mean, the celestials. The Kirby great. dots everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. 
it, uh, it really is a big, giant sci-fi sort of story, which I think is what you need from these characters, right? I mean, the Fantastic Four, of, of, of anyone in the Marvel Universe, Fantastic Four should be engaged in giant space battles, you know, involving Galactus and the Celestials and, and the Inhumans and the Kree and, and the Supreme Intelligence and, and all those things. I mean, this is, this is the Fantastic Four bread and butter. And, you know, Hickman is... Pulling it off. And I think one of the things, criticisms we've had about Hickman over the years is that he starts off, well, he's got all these great ideas, but he doesn't weave it into a coherent story or a coherent narrative. And I, that hasn't been a problem at all in this book. You know, there's, there's, no, there's, there's no big ideas trumping storytelling. There's big ideas and there's storytelling and there's characterization. Well, mm-hmm. when he's had that problem, it was because uh, – and I, I, I loathe to call it that, but like um, – it's been on small miniseries. Four issues, miniseries. Four yeah. issues where he just had he had too much to fit into what would be a four issue image series, but that's all that the you know the, the crowd was going to support basically. So here, you know, you're talking about three years over over what has become two titles. You know that that might be his format more. It it, it is one of the best books, not just at Marvel, but one of the superhero books out there. When this is collected into the eventual Jonathan Hickman omnibus, it's going to be quite a epic. And really, once once you sit down and, and think about it, especially when you read this issue, it really has been one giant epic story. He's just done a good job of masking that, although or not a good job because there was there was complaints in the middle. I know Josh at one point you were reading it with the uh, with the four cities and things where it didn't seem to make any sense or or, mm-hmm. or you wondered what what it had to do with anything, and then you you find out here why it all was important. Yeah, and uh, I, and to be fair, I dropped off and on a couple sure. times, and like when it split, I was like, I like Paul wanna, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to read two books. You know what he feels like to me, and, and tell me if you think that this is this is off base. But he's got a lot of what makes Grant Morrison good, but w- yes. without without being like Grant Morrison. Like he's I, a bit more grounded than Grant Morrison, a bit yeah. less esoteric. But he he's definitely in that mold. I mean, if you talk to him, which we have at conventions, he loves Grant Morrison. Yeah. Grant Morrison's one of his idols, so he definitely has that sort of big cosmic crazy ideas. But I think. And, and Grant's a great writer in and of himself, but he he's a little less he's he's a little less he's, Hickman's a little more grounded than Morrison is. Hickman, get- Hickman feels very um, very particular in a way that I don't think Grant Morrison is. Mm-hmm. Like like every, Grant like, Morrison's more freewheeling, which yeah. I think has its own benefits. It's just, it just produces a different kind of story. You get a different kind of uh, success. I think uh, Hickman's more regimented. Than, it's than it's methodical in a way. Yeah. But yeah. It, at the at the heart of it is is really guys who ha- are are having ideas that are original, and are are expanding on what you would think might be possible with these characters. They're really expanding these really well used formats in in ways that that no one else has done. I guess that's sort of what I mean. And that's actually a really good segue into the next book, which was almost the pick of the week, which was Chew Twenty Four. And I feel like all these guys do, these guys being Rob, uh, John Lehman and Rob Guillory, is expand what you can do in comics and, ex- and explore the boundaries. And it, I know it, we, we sort of have the same discussion about Chew every time, but it really is amazing that er- almost every issue brings you some new idea that you haven't seen before or thought of or some new sequence or funny background bits like the little Kirkman tri- tribute in this one. It, just, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me what these guys are capable of putting together with Chew. Kirkman fan posters, I think, is something is an idea that's that's time has come. Uh, <laughs> Kirk Manley, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To tell me about tell me about Kirk Manley because I, I read this in collection. I like I like to gorge on it. So what's what's going on with that? It's Kirk a- Manley is a background joke, basically. The one of the characters is a bedroom full covered in Kirkman posters, and one of them on one of them is written Kirk Manley. So it's like a Tiger Beat kind yeah. of yes, thing. Basically. Yes, basically. Kirkman. Okay. She has Teen Beat crush on on 
on this idol of of comic book and, and fiction creativity, Robert Kirkman. It's totally a background joke because that guy's pretty much their boss. But uh, that's a good way to go. But but besides that, it's uh, it was just another fun issue. And what they do is they once again they jump back in time. This has been a really uh, loosely but tightly segmented sort of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for the time continuum. You know, like Time, yes, it's it's the all timeline, set. The if you were yeah. to look at the timeline and the sequence of events, you know, written down, it would all make perfect sense. But the book itself jumps around a ton, and it's like this. This goes back. I think it's nineteen months or something like that. So you get to see, you know, the agents right before Chew, and you find out that uh, when I say Chew, I mean John Chew. You find out that that you know they've been involved with his daughter for a really long time, who we didn't meet until much later in the series, and she's got a whole other. She's she's the Anakin Skywalker of Seba Paths. That, yes, you know, but much better of an actor. Or she's sort of an Anakin Skywalker mixed with Taskmaster. When she eats something, she gains his abilities. Yeah, and so she, there's a lot of her eating body parts in this issue, or more than I was happy with, because I believe I was reading this one during lunch. Haven't we seen the chocolate sculptor before? Or am I crazy? I don't know. We might have. We may or not have. In this issue, there's there's an international butter sculpting competition that. The this guy who's a, who's a master chocolate sculptor enters and he loses, of course, because he's sculpting chocolate. Even though chocolate has this chocolate sculpture has butter in it, uh, and his power is that whatever he sculpts can mimic the real thing. So he sculpts all these weapons and kills everybody at the convention. And he's a, he's a weapon salesman. And it, it's just it's it never fails to delight and amuse and amaze that these guys have, have these wonderful ideas month after month. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You said that best. I don't know if I have anything else to add. I will say that. For the guy who is an international and very specific arms dealer, um, that was probably not a good move to, <laughs> to go very public and then butcher a bunch of people. But who can guess the mind of the of – the He was very upset about losing this competition. Well, he worked really hard on that, that, sh- that, he, that he, set of armor. He should have read the rules. I mean it's pretty clear. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? It did look delicious though. How um, do the weapons work? Because <laughs> it, like, it's a functional sword. But it's made of chocolate. It was very cold in there. I just, I don't. He's such a good sculptor. He made it so thin that it was, it was able to chop. It's, it's like it's a Green Lantern with chocolate. It sounds like. Yes, kind sort of. Sort of. It's delicious, and it has better. More dialogue. delicious. Now, it was a three-way race for pick of the week. It was a three-horse race. You were having a three-way when you're trying to do the pick of the week. Which is which is why it was late. It's not <laughs> conducive to Secret Avengers twenty-three. <laughs> was the other one that was almost picked. Rick Remender, Gabriel Hardman. Putting out what is right now my favorite Avengers book, or, or also the only one I'm reading at this point. <laughs> this was wonderful and very funny, considering all the ajta on ifanboy.com last week. Yeah, well, listen, I'm not saying I had anything to do with Hank Pym, <laughs> but you know, maybe he had it coming. So Paul, you picked up on something in the zeitgeist. Yeah, this is my this is my pick. I really like what Remender's been doing with his corner of the the Marvel universe and sort of branching out into other things. Because this because this also connects to his Venom run that he's been working on, and uh, we introduced Flash Thompson into the team. There's also some controversial stuff going on with Ant Man, the, the the Kirkman character, not Hank Pym. I can't think of what that character's name is. The, the name's in there, and it's, it's just, not but, but it's Scott just like Lang, it's the other one. It's kind of it's kind of weird seeing that character in like a mainstream book. Like I mean, he's I know he's had cameos in like the Mighty Avengers and stuff like that, but it's it's weird. It you usually think of him as being aside from all that as being more of a comical character, and even in here he talks about how he burned a guy's face off to get the Ant Man suit. 
and he's got to like live, you know, he's got to get past that. And this, it's kind of funny that this came, you know, right after your your editorial because it's it this this issue is all about like redemption. So it's it's about that Ant Man trying to redeem himself from his murky past and being kind of an asshole and being a killer basically. And, um, but then there's also the Hank Pym part where it's he and beast have this, this banter going back and forth and it's like, it's friendly at first, but then it gets to a point where the, you know, beast makes like a pretty pointed comment about the fact that you shouldn't be working on artificial intelligent related stuff because you know, that robot that tries to murder us like all the time and he keeps coming back yeah, we want to keep you away from that that branch of science in particular. So that so there's a lot of redemption in the whole thing, and then there's also the the continued sort of weird relationship between Cap and uh, Hawkeye, and about can like I, who I gets just, to really manage this team. Every single panel of Hawkeye through this book, he is angry, and <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, he's grizzled and angry. Yeah. Oh, and he's just he's he's chafing under the authority, and and I've I've. That's that's what Hawkeye is supposed to be, and what yep. he what what Remender's done is he rolled him back to a previous version because Hawkeye had whenever he died or whatever he had mellowed and grown up and he was Cap's peer and he was no fun anymore, and now yeah. he's just the guy who's like, come on, God, you know, he's just always he's like, back to being the bad boy in class. He's he's grimacing in every single panel, and that's what I want. That's and I realize that you know he's not growing as a I don't care. It's more fun like that. He's that that sandpaper going in the opposite direction to everybody else, and it's it's just visual. You don't even have to read the dialogue to see it on his face. Um, his body language is there the whole time, and it's a ton of fun. For that also, reason, it, I like the cap still around because it allows yeah. it allows for that sort of that, that relationship. Yeah, and it, oh, that's yeah. always been one of the great Avengers relationships. And, and also politically, if you kill off Kirkman's one remaining character who's still in the Avengers, then they don't have any. He doesn't have anything on Marvel. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was just, I was sort of like, I was wondering, it's kind of confusing because, you know, like there's all, there's still, you know, there's a giant man in Hank Pym, but he's also, you know, acclaimed as being, you know, the, the first Ant-Man. So that's, that's a character that's always synonymous with him. So I'm wondering if maybe they're like cleaning the slate a little bit. So, so yeah, it's, in this it's issue, Ant-Man go, he's, he's off on his own in, behind enemy lines and he ends up getting caught and killed by the, the bad guys or the, the bad at Scott Lang. O'Grady, Eric O'Grady. O'Grady, Eric O'Grady. That's that's yeah. Eric O'Grady dies. So already dead. Or at least it's it's yeah. it's. I mean, it seems that it, that's where the, yeah. that's what they're going for. You know what else? Stomped. This book could also be called Aryan Avengers because it's a lot the, of white these, are, these are the blonde <laughs> yeah. people: Hawkeye, Captain Britain, Venom, Hank Pym, Valkyrie, and Captain America. Yeah. But they balance that because they have the original Human Torch who murdered. Him. He's also blonde. Yeah. I shouldn't say murder. Just kill. So he's another member who's blonde. So there's. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven members of this team are blonde. It's a bit of a master race Avengers is what you're saying. Kind of. The Aryan Avengers. Put yeah. that on a cover. That's uncomfortable then, for me. Then Hank, Hank's blue. He <laughs> so that, used to be... I don't think he, he, no, had he was not blonde. No, he, yeah. he had black hair. But yeah. you see, yeah. you've got three members. Two members of the team? Three? One's dead. It doesn't matter. Moving on. <laughs> Magneto, not a hero, number four from Scotty Young and Clay Man, which ends the miniseries. This is uh, Scotty Young's first... Mainstream superhero writing gig. He's done. He's, he's done some short stories. He did a Deadpool team up at one point. Right. Uh, there was like a half edition. I think something else here or there. Uh, what was impressive to me about this was that it actually ended stronger than it began, which mm-hmm. is which is I think what you want to see. I didn't know who these characters. I mean, I know who Magneto is, but you know, but I, I was reading this because I like Scotty, so I was I was reading through it and giving it a shot, and I I really thought that it ended 
in a really strong way. I thought, um, you know, the the diet. One of the things you look for in this is you know in new writers, dude's been around for a decade, but you know, in sort of actually putting down dialogue, like the dialogue was 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 strong. It wasn't it wasn't too much. It wasn't. There also wasn't a lot of it. Yeah, especially in this issue, there's a lot of it where he let the artist tell the story, which is. A, I think, shows the strength of an artist becoming a writer, knowing how to tell a story visually. Oh, definitely. And, and B, uh, trust in the artist to, to, be, to be able to handle telling the story. Not, you know, that's a lot of – it's a lot for the writer to give up the and dialogue I, and, and I say, think that, tell the story. You know, in the way that, that I think that the, the, the story ended strong, I, I think the art has gotten better over the course of it too. And, and there were some sequences in this where, that were really impressive. You featured one in the best panels of the week, and that stood out to me immediately, which is you know, like a train being thrown at Magneto – from like sky level so you're looking down on the train and yep. just not an angle you ever see of a thing like that and no. then when you get to the next page which is all silent quote unquote no dialogue it's just these wonderful images of this of this sort of train falling apart and and the the human sort of collateral damage that is that is going on in the background that nobody seems to really be worrying <laughs> about that much um, no one ever does it was really interesting and, and I liked the little bit at the end where you know you sort of you know, Magneto's not a hero. Never said he was, and uh, you know there was there was there was apparently some deaths. Now the Flash number six is standard Flash disclaimer. Francis Manpal is fantastic. He should draw every comic. The art's wonderful. Now the big the big thing about this issue was the introduction of Captain Cold, or the new Captain Cold, who is someone who doesn't have a cold gun. He has cold powers, and apparently he had a cold gun, but not anymore. Paul, your thoughts? I didn't. I'm sorry, I didn't read this one. But but, but as a conceptual, uh, as a rogue fan, is it Len Snart? Yeah. So, well, I guess so. They don't really. Must they be. didn't say, or maybe they did and they don't. And this is the um, first time that he's been seen in the new. Y- yes. Yeah, okay. I I kind of like how sort of low rent the Flash rogues you know were. You know, they have kind of goofy powers, or and they're they're all science based powers. So in the, originally, it was all about Flash solving science problems, and you know different branches of science and. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, it's Lensnart. Sorry, it is Lensnart. Okay. All right. Well, I'm 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 kind of I'm okay with that. I, I you know I'm not I'm not uppity about it. You know I'm I'm mellowed out about it. It's okay. It's and if the, I mean if there's some kind of solution that it was some kind of science accident, it I mean it's really not that big of a deal. It's sort of just uh, I I always like Lensnart as sort of a I don't know like a low rent like regional manager kind of guy with like saddled with. Like these other idiots who are, you know, his his fellow rogues, and he just wants to get the job done. He's like a really capable blue collar guy who doesn't expect that he will rise to, or doesn't want to rise to a higher level in society. But he's way smarter. He's and that. well, and, he, and, he, and, and he's he still like a scumbag. Cold, and he has like, right, and, and he has a cold gun, right? Which is analog and wonderful in a way. And I I do kind of miss the original costume which is like he went to a Halloween store mm-hmm. and got, you know, like an elf costume or something whatever that is and, and it made it evil. Yeah. So um but looked like it looked like there was a strong glasses are still there. Looked like there was a strong reaction Connor did you did you did you like it? Are you I mean are, yeah, no, I, it was, I know it, you're it was into re- the 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 graphic design of this book is, is fantastic. No, but I think I think the story was really good in this issue. I like the fact of his relationship with Patty is actually really interesting and allows for that dynamic tension between, you know, uh, Iris and Patty and and Barry because um, they they all hang out at one point and it's weird because clearly Iris is jealous. I mean, that allows for that interesting dynamic you don't normally get with Barry Allen. You know, Barry Allen's pretty much usually a straight shooter. 
he's your Midwestern straight shooter, and now he's got a uh, triangle going on. So that part was really interesting. And then, you know, Len Snart just trying to save his sick sister, get some money for her surgery, and, you know, things go wrong. The Flash shows up, and the Flash has his own problems. He can't use his powers at full um, capacity. Otherwise, he'll open up time rifts, which sort of calls back to the old Wally West days when Wally couldn't go, f- go full strength because it was killing him. So there's lots I, I like of that because it's, yeah. it, one of the things about the Flash, it sort of is the Superman problem, is that there's really nothing that should be able to beat him if he can if he has limitless speed. Right. There's right. nothing because really you, you could take care of anything. Everything else is completely still in that. Like how does a guy with a cold gun or even cold powers even affect you if you're moving so fast? You know, faster. Well, than the, the, the other thing was they said that the 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 cold that Captain Cold or Captain Cold was emanating was so cold that it was slowing down the Flash's molecules, mm-hmm. so he couldn't move as fast, fast either around around him. So they did lots of things, science based things, to sort of even the playing field between the Flash and Captain but, Cold. Position. And you, you you said he has he has domestic problems. He has like he had to what he had to get money for his sister or something. Sister has a brain tumor and he can't That's afford key. can't afford it's the key surgery. to the lens snark. Yeah, can't afford the surgery. Okay. So he goes, you know, and she's the she's the golden glider. Yes. Well, not Eventually. right now. She's in a coma. But uh, it, I mean, it was it sort of wise. I think it might have been the strongest yet of the issue. They're really sort of finding their groove with the with the world that they've created and the characters and the sporting cast. And and now that the rogues are you know the tra- a traditional rogue has shown up, it's much more you know familiar. Mm. Yeah, so I think this was this this is also a really good jumping on point. So if anyone either jumped off Flash or was interested in Flash, part of the buzz around Flash, this is a number six is a good place to start with it. Cool. Now, now everybody uh, this weekend is off to conventions all over the world. So you con season has officially begun. You Josh, don't, you don't get part of that. What, what what other options do do people have? Well, you can always go to C2E2. It's in April, from April 13th to 15th in Chicago at McCormick Place. You got tons of comic guests, including not not limited to Mark Silvestri, Amanda Connor, Tony Moore, Joe Kubert, Sean Murphy, Tim Seeley. There's also going to be media guests like our favorite Anthony Daniels. Oh. We have not confirmed or, or or have it denied that he will let you wear the C-3PO helmet. Pretty we haven't confirmed it. No one. You know, it's possible. They've officially denied it. We've put it out there. No one's denied it. You could be like, hey, you want to take an oil bath? Because <laughs> he hasn't bless, heard that. Bless the maker. Just, Tickets just, are, are, are you gay or British? What are you, robot? Tickets are $50 for the whole weekend. You can get VIP packages, which include perks. You can, all, you can check it all out at their website, C2E2. It's in April. Check it out. Very cool. Then now you were all a buzz about profit number twenty two, or twenty one last time, or profit number one, as right. it may have been called. The, the second issue. Yeah, I, it's so annoying that they're doing that. I, I I think it's just sort of a thing to to sort of spite DC with renumbering it all their books. Absolutely, is a thing to spite DC. So it's it's a little bit annoying. They're keeping the original numbering, even though it's now with with like with Glory, it's definitely a continuation of past stuff, and they ha- they allude to a lot of the stuff in in that return issue. But with Profit, it's basically a new ongoing series. Look at, look at is you what complaining like. for a relaunch. They renumber everything, and we're like, oh come on. Now it's, make up your mind. Well, I, I just, I, I just don't, I don't want people to be afraid of jumping on something. At this is a, this is a, this is a true relaunch. Yeah. There's a new character, yeah, it, it's it just, a new it, world, it's a new creative team. I mean, this should have been relaunched at, at a new number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's so we got this guy John Prophet who sort of looks like Conan the Barbarian. He's got the same haircut, but he he's basically he wakes up. He's sort of like it's sort of like a Rip Van Winkle kind of situation, but he has a mission. And and what's kind of cool about this is that he has to 
like basically go through the, the the strange exotic terrain of Earth after it's been invaded by crazy aliens and turned into basically like a big like cattle ranch for them. Is all they, they eat humans and basically he has to go through and it's sort of a, a scavenger hunt, basically finding all of the stuff that he needs to reboot the world or it's 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 kind of unclear exactly what the mission is but he's got to you know reclaim earth and there's stuff that was left for him by you know his um his handlers i guess and he has to go and and you know restart satellites and things like that this issue we get to see more of the crazy world and he basically gets a job shoveling shit for a caravan yeah and it's a, it's a it's a big like I don't know. It's sort of like like these big uh, monster creatures that move along. They're the caravan, and there's like buildings built onto them. They have a big force field around them, and it's sort of like human centipede, where they like Ugh. defecate, and then he has to shovel it into the next one's mouth, and it's basically that's being refined into their fuel. It's it's very it's very weird, and and like there's just like ugly stuff and designs going on but it's just so out there and inventive that i'm just all about this book well first of all there's no there's no other book like this out there in any way shape or form but second i love the sequence where he sees the old king about to be assassinated and he stops it and he kills the guy about to kill him and they all go hey you stopped the ceremony our ceremony is the the new king kills the old king you fucked it all up and then they all attack him it's just kind of like really Fun and inventive fish out of water stuff that is unlike anything. It doesn't look like any other book I'm reading. It, it doesn't feel like any other book. It's very weird, but in a great way. Interesting, intriguing, mysterious. Lots of, lots of interesting ways of like telling the story too, because there's a there's a third person narration to it, um, because he doesn't talk because there's no one who would understand him, and whenever the aliens speak. They have a word balloon, and you can sort of see it with their like weird-looking language. But then it's overlaid with another word balloon in English, so it's being translated by. He's got like a translator robot thing that follows him around. So it's uh, an interesting way of telling the story, and and a very complicated world building. But it's it's done very smartly. Yeah, wonderful book. Yeah, I just can't say enough good things about Prophet yeah. right now, which is bizarre. But there you go. And then let's see, I tried some some new image stuff. There's a book called No Place Like Home, number one, which is by Angelo Tirado, uh, art by Richard Jordan. And uh, as you might be able to tell from the title, it's a play on The Wizard of Oz. It's a it's sort of a it's a it's a darker, grittier version of Wizard of Oz without it being annoying in that way. Like it's I don't know, it's not one of those like grim fairy tales kind of comics, even though it sort of has kind of a cheesecakey cover. But anyways, it's a weird adaptation of the story in the same way that Peter Panzerfaust is a weird adaptation of Peter Pan. It's not a direct one to one adaptation. It's just using some of the elements. And this is about a, a girl named D who's you know, the Dorothy analog going home after her parents are killed in Emeraldville, Emeraldsville, Kansas, excuse me. And um, there was like a big cyclone and, and they're believed to be killed in that, but it's actually there's a serial murder, murderer wandering around this, this small town and there's inklings that it, there's some kind of paranormal thing going on and some like weird um, shadow of the past thing where there was some weird event that took place back in 1959 and it's sort of just coming to a head now 
uh, with her uh, elderly parents. And uh, basically, she's back for the funeral and meets up with some of her friends and uh, now gets embroiled in this mystery. Really, really great art. It, it reminds me a little bit of Yannick Paquette and what he's doing on uh, Swamp Thing. Very detailed, very gorgeous. It's a little bit sort of like Wizard of Oz meets Preacher in a way. Cool vibe to the book, so worth checking out. Apparently what Image does now is they take a property that used to not be public domain and then they twist it. Who else does that? What other writer? Oh, it's Alan Moore. Anyway. There's a giant bat in All-Star Western number six. You know what? Even more obvious than the giant bat are the constant owls. Yes. It was the one thing I noticed. Owls. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Can, <laughs> owls. There's, there, there's owls. definitely an exclamation point to it. There's, there's a lot of. I don't. And I want to know. I re, I want to know if that was in the script, like put an owl there, or if they just told Moritat, like put an owl on. Put it. some owls in the background, and he was like, "Oh, you want you want your owls? I'll give <laughs> you some, get your owls. I'll give you damn owls." I think I think what happened is Moritat, who is an amazing artist um, and does some really great architecture and stuff, doesn't do very detailed backgrounds in a lot of his panels. Mm-hmm. So there's like just a, it's it's not necessarily just a, a a straight like matte color in the background. There's like a bit of a gradient to it. But so when he has a stuffed owl in the background and there's just a, like a woman talking head, it really stands out that there's there's owls in the scene. But there's so we're, we're leading up to owls. Night of the Owls, the the Gotham event. So which I think is which I think is kind of cool that they're bringing this into that. Clearly, that family full of evil people are also on the court of owls. What? Or Just, I, don't know, I don't know if you got though. that reference. I want to know that was if, I want to know if having this book be more related to Batman to Gotham is having the intended effect of having more people be interested in it. I mean, I know like it's higher, but everything coming out of the relaunch was higher. But they basically went and took this Western book and character, and it's called. Yeah, when I was I was Western. thinking about it earlier because it's. I mean, they changed the name from Jonah Hex to All Star Western, and it's less Westerny than it was. It's it's very. It's un-Western. like you kind of wish that it was reversed, and you know, this was just called Jonah Hex because this isn't. I mean, there are Western elements to it, and there are shootouts and stuff, and as you you noted in panels of the week, you know, great old timey boxing, mm-hmm. but um, it's more of a Victoriana kind of thing. Box so yourself I, I don't up, know. Sullivan. Oh, I've got a, I've got a fist I, I like both iterations of the book. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm excited for the. the I, I don't mind it, but like you know, how long how long does Jonah Hex get to bum around in Gotham? Like, is eventually are we is he going to go somewhere? Well, he's going to no, New no, Orleans. He's, yeah, he's going to New Orleans. Now, but he's he's never going back. To, it's never going back pure western. I, know, I mean, I know. Do either of you care anything about the backup story in this? This one, I, I, I didn't love this one. I liked the other one a lot more. Okay. I, I, I and I, I like the art a lot. I like yeah, the art was great. The Winslade. I like yeah. the the like uh, I don't want to say retro, but I guess that's what it is. Like you see the Winslow stuff, and you're like, this would have been amazing art in the '70s. And I and I mean that like if you looked at a book from the '70s and it looked like this, you'd be like, that's perfect. But it it does look like that. It's not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's yeah, it's jarringly you know of that era, and it you know sort of looks like a I don't know, it's like a Gene Colan kind of vibe to it, yeah. but yeah. Uh, which is great. So I don't know. It's just, but I guess it is kind of jarring going from one to another. Yeah, that's fine. So, uh, Paul, you wanted to talk about New Mutants number 38. I hate myself. It's just I'm into the mutants these days, and it's repugnant, and it's just uh, – but like, it's good. It's like I don't even know who you are anymore. I know. I don't know who I am anymore. But this this is fun. I've heard good things about it. I like the idea that they're going to cross this over with Journey into Mystery, which is also very good. Um, it's it's this Abnett is, and Landing, right? I mean, that's, it's Abnett and Landing. That's, that's a I mean, safe that's a big bet. thing. 
Yeah, and I've been I've been reading a lot of Avnet Pros lately, so I I wanted to try out his his stuff, and I and I enjoyed um, Guardians of the Galaxy with uh, Avnet Landing as well. So I was like, let's let's try it. Let's see if I'll like another mutants book in addition to Uncanny X Force. And I did. It's um, it's uh, now I'm just jumping in and sort of like the middle here. I I, I understand it's like a, the start of a new arc, so it's it's a safe place to jump on. I like this um, super powered linguist uh, cipher. He's a hyper linguist, according to the um, front, which sounds kind of like a Seinfeld thing. But, anyways, he's his his whole thing is that he's able to decode like any language and learn how languages work. And the cool idea here is that he has this weird sort of foreboding dream that he has to go back to Paradise Island, and he realizes that you know, as a as a hyper linguist, he um, is able to sort of. Um, root out the meanings of dreams because dreams are just another kind of language and I liked all sort of the um, the thoughtfulness behind that concept and they go there and turns out there's this weird infestation on the island with this weird uh, illness and it's going to be sort of a, a lockdown where all of the characters since they could potentially be infected they have to stay there sort of quarantined so it's going to get real weird real quick so i'm on board for this into the future i liked it a lot um art's not fantastic but um the story the story and the characters um i found very compelling and uh it's different not, than the usual La so he was he was doing it for a right while. okay well the, compared to la fuente what are you gonna do you know exactly but it you know gets the job done it's uh i enjoyed it those are the books we wanted to talk about this week there weren't a, there were it was a weird week it was a weird week it was uh, one of those weeks where you're doing the pre-production. What do you want to talk about? Uh, I don't know. That was basically the response from all three of us. But if you, you have a lot to say, you go to ifanboy.com slash comics. You can rate and review your books. You can make your pull list. You can make your own pick of the week. And we'll run down the top five picks of the week from the community. And number five was Wolverine and the X-Men. Number six was 8.5%. Number four was Chew24 with 10.7%. Number three was Secret Avengers. Number 23 was 16.3%. Number two was Fantastic Four. Number 603 was 17.6%. And number one was The Flash, number six, with 21.2%. Really closely grouped one, two, and three there. It's all over the place. I like yeah, that. It's, it's good to see. Uh, the first user review we're going to talk about is from Neb uh, on Captain America and Bucky, number 627. You have a story of four out of five and the art of four out of five. With nobody picking it. Uh, 0.0 percentage of the pick of the week. And he says... Francavia has become one of my favorite artists over the past couple years. He has this amazing sense for mood and color, and he's not shy about trying different things for the comic book page. And as an example, I would point those that read the issue to the two-page spread of the star-shaped panel that is surrounded by other panels. It's an elegant way to take care of a fight sequence without drowning the book in too much frivolous action. He does a wonderful job of creating a dark and threatening mood for the characters and the story. My only criticism is the figure drawing in a few panels was a bit wonky. He giveth and he taketh away. That's that's what just happened there with Neb. <laughs> I, I didn't love the art in the last issue. I'm a big Frank Avia fan. I thought it was better this issue, but I'm not sure if he's if he's a good fit for Captain America. Even though he's very retro-y. I don't know. Something is off about it. I like his art a lot, too. You know this. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming off that last arc, you had Chris Somney and I'm going to say, was it Brightweiser? Betty Brightweiser on colors? Probably. That sounds it, right. It looked, if it wasn't, it was Matt Wilson. It was one of those. Uh, no, it was her. It was her. Yeah, it, it, it just that looked perfect. Like it was really good. It was everything I wanted, and then they took it away after a very short amount of time. And it, I don't know, it doesn't fit the same way. It's not even that it's bad. I just was like, I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling this as much as. Well, I think, I think also the story isn't as strong as it no. was in the first arc either. No. The first, it, it's that's definitely it, true. Yeah, it's it's a little 
I don't I don't know. There's something this used to, I don't know. This book <laughs> it's tough cuz I lo- I do love Frankovia and I think some of the art in this issue was like vintage Frankovia stuff. Other other stuff was kind of awkward, but I don't know. I just, it just could just be I'm not into the story as much. Yeah, I, th- I think that's very possible. Next up is Turd Sandwich with a High Vampire number. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's classy. High Vampire number six. Story five out of five and the art five out of five. And the pick of the week percentage was 0.8%. He said, all in all, I give Fialkov and Sorrentino big props for writing, drawing, and engaging horror story set in a greater DCU that doesn't disappoint or feel out of place at all. They're taking some risks with the book, and in my opinion, it's paying off. I hope more people read this besides the current 307 pullers because this book deserves more attention. It is doing what everyone supposedly wants, telling new stories, so we should reward that. If you haven't checked this out yet, or on the fence, at least take a look at the first trade when it comes out. Now, people say they want new stories. But they don't, actually. <laughs> I'm actually going to check out the first trade when it, when it comes out, because I did, I did like the first issue, but didn't love it. It's uh, true what he says. It is, it is, you know, it's a horror-ish comic, but with like sort of a, a soap opera element that takes place in the DCU, but it's only if you kind of want to think of it that way. Um, yeah, I remember it, it being kind of weird when they, when they mentioned Green Lantern being in the same universe. I don't like that. And, I, I hate that they have to do it. I know that I know why they have to, but yeah, because you know it's a huge war of vampires, and the fact is, if that was happening, the Justice League would be like, "F that." Mm-hmm. There was a reference to it in a book I read this week. I don't, oh, in Justice League Dark, mm-hmm. yeah, because well, they're right. going to cro- they're about to cross over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and now comes the sales techniques. Well, that's that's how they, that's how these things work, and that's what it is. It's it's a DC Comics book. That's how you know. But you know he he's not going to get to tell the sort of that un un unimpinged story. Especially. Was it more or less awkward than Batman running up to, to Constantine and Swamp Thing and spouting some nonsense and running away again? At the time, I would have hated it, but now in retrospect, thirty years later, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's really funny. Get back inside. This guy is red. I gotta go. Bye. And nobody's <laughs> nobody's taking Batman serious. Seriously, you should watch our Swamp Thing episode if you want to know what we're talking about. Oh, that was um, really funny. It was really funny. Like it's that part's great. Or like in Sandman when they're when like a bunch of the Justice League are at the funeral. Yeah. Oh hey. Oh, what's up, Marsh Manhunter? How you doing? Yeah, okay, cool. That's fine. <laughs> so those are our user reviews. You can go to ifamwhat.com slash comics. Make your pull list every week. Rate and review your books. Write a good review. We'll put it on the show every week. Now let's do a couple of emails. The first is from John from Brooklyn, New York. And John says, I've always loved Tim Drake. Robin 2 The Joker's Wild is, my, is the first series I remember frantically spinning the spinner racks to see if the next issue was out. I never cracked his ongoing, and with 100 plus issues, it now seems daunting. Are there any trades or story arcs you would recommend? I refuse to read anything written by a Republican. Just kidding. Kind of. Oh, wait. I was making a Willingham joke. Just realized I opened with, with Chuck Dixon praise. Prejudice foiled! It went in the whole uh, thing at the end of that, didn't it? <laughs> well, directly following the Willingham... Oh, Paul, Paul, question number first. Who is Tim Drake? Ooh, you're what? <laughs> Who is he? What? What do you? What? Wow! I don't, when they I don't re, even, when they rebooted the the system, they actually rebooted Connor. <laughs> I'm just this joke about how I don't even read any books with him anymore. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's you'd, sad. You'd have, to, you'd have to read Teen Titans, wouldn't you? Yeah, things. I don't. I mean, you know, I got I got more than enough Robins going on. I don't. I miss. I don't really think about it all that often, to be honest. Anymore. He you know? pops up in he pops up in Batman number one. Yeah, they drove him into know. the ground a little bit, it, yeah. meaning that like they just kept doing horrible things to him and killing him off, and then but making him more capable. And it was eventually like, when's this kid gonna snap? Paul, drop some knowledge because I don't know who this person is. Okay, when I first started 
uh, reading comics like in the the modern era. I don't know. So when I came back to comics, I was reading the stuff that I think followed the Willingham stuff with Adam Beechin. Yep. Adam Beechin um, by by Freddie Williams. Josh actually read that. Made it pick yeah. of his pick of the week one time. There was a lot yeah, of Freddie good issues in that. Williams the second, yes. third, third. Freddie e. Williams yeah. the second. Right. That stuff was really good, and I, I love the characterization of Tim Drake. I remember one of the first issues I picked up was he went out on a date with his tutor, and uh, it was a it was a black girl. And was Batman covered, watching him? Is that was what, yeah, yeah from the outside of the restaurant? I think that was the pick of the week. That was the pick of the week. Yeah, yeah. And the cover depicted a white girl with blonde hair. <laughs> well, that's, that was um, spoiler, probably. Mm. I don't know if it was, but um, that was just he got with her later. Hairstyle. Yeah, <laughs> that's it was, that I was. think someone said that the the, the the content of this issue is going to be Robin on a date with a girl, and someone put that on the cover instead of the uh, this other character. And so, but th- it was it was really fun. They used interesting villains. He had that like the white rapper guy who was right. like his informant. And he had a really dumb name, but uh, it was it was always funny when he popped up. Um, they built this like whole little world for him, and uh, so I find that stuff really interesting. So anything with 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 uh, Robin by uh, Adam Beechin, pick that up. Well, to yeah, be serious, to be serious, it is daunting. It's a hundred plus issues, but also it's daunting because they didn't cl- they didn't collect hardly any of it. So if it, you could look for it on Comicsology, maybe they'll put those issues on there at some point. But the, it's a series that, for its whole run, is mostly pretty awesome. Yep. The Willingham part was was conspicuous in its non awesomeness, but the Chuck Dixon run in the beginning was fantastic. It, I was going to say if you can find any, if the, if there are any trades of any of the Dixon run, just get them in it, you know in whatever order they're in because those were those were consistently entertaining and strong all the way through. Yeah, the I have Dixon, the one the where it's, the beach it's flying run, solo, I want to say. It's where yep. he gets kicked out of the Batcave by uh, what's-his-face after uh, Batman? fake Batman. Oh, Azrael. Azrael, yeah. He gets kicked out of the Batcave and, and he felt awful about it. Um, Jean-Paul Michel I want to say the beach and stuff picks up after uh, one year later or at one year later. It's around, it's it's around that it. time. Good, good luck trying to get that into a timeline in my life. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> but the, the Dixon stuff and the, the Beaches stuff are the, probably the strongest. There's a lot of guys. Uh, Yost did a good run on it. There's a lot of guys on there eventually, but those are the two strongest. But, uh, but if eventually it ever gets put out digitally, uh, you can probably check all the issues out. It's a great run. It was one of the such best. A, he's such a cool character because he's like – they bring up this whole idea that he's going to be like a, a better detective than Bruce Wayne by the time he grows up. And then I think like Damien came along. They're like, and, oh, people like this guy a lot. Yeah. So it's – I mean I like both of them, but um, – I don't know. It's funny because well, it's Tim Tim Drake was the sort of the Aaron Sorkin thing. Like like you like watching a guy who likes what he's doing. He's really good at it. And then mm-hmm. and then uh, Damien was sort of the poochie. I don't think that's true at all. Damien's, I, I know. Damien's, Damien's the rabble rouser. He's yeah. the rogue. He's the Han Solo. You know, he's yeah. he's the one people. He's not the Wolverine. He's the character people like. But as be, a kid, yeah, as a kid, which made it interesting. So there you go. Our next email is from Matt S, who's hair star on the website. And he says, hey, guys, since you guys have a well-professed love for the work of Jeff Johns, 
though it's dipped recently, as well as being infuriated by the many failed attempts at explaining Hawkman, I figured I'd write in. With the recent release of the Hawkman Omnibus by Johns, James Robinson, Rags and Morales, and others, I was wondering if any of you had read it or were giving it a chance now. It's a good list of creators, and it was around at the same time as the JSA book Johns wrote I quite enjoyed, but it's an expensive purchase and a recommendation from y'all. Either way, would be much appreciated. Only if you read it. Otherwise, if not, I apologize for adding to your inbox. And everyone should apologize for that. I agree. I did read most of it when it originally came out in issues, and it was a really uh, good, solid Hawkman book, which is rare to say in the last 20 years. But it did, I didn't love it, love it. I actually stopped reading it at one point. Like, Actually, I did that with JSA, too, and John's wrote it. I don't know. At the time, I guess I, I wasn't as into John's as I was later. But I actually thought about picking it up because I really did enjoy it, and it's probably the only Hawkman book you're going to get that's actually pretty good. I read, the, I read the first two trades, which I guess is what the omnibus is. And I think I, the omnibus might be the whole. Is stuff. it the whole thing? I don't know. There was it wasn't a super long run. I, th- I feel like it's three or four trades, but it's harder to get the later ones. But I, I have the first two. I read those and enjoyed it. It's kind of like I, I don't know. It's it it, it uh, uses a lot of the archaeology stuff and like the adventurer kind of thing. And uh, it's uh, I don't know. I I, I always liked uh, that version of Hawkgirl as well. So. It's, it's a good, solid Hawkman book. If you like Hawkman and, and you, you find yourself missing Hawkman stories that you enjoy, pick and, that up. And, I mean, well, you know, you're going to take what you can get with Hawkman. If the <laughs> no best kidding. Hawkman you can get is is BB Plus, you're going to go with that. And in, in that case, go for it. Yeah. You can send us an email at contact.ifanboy.com. And now let's do one or two voicemails before we go. The first one has a very interesting question. Hey, Fanboy, this is Scott in Texas. And I was calling because I had a Wolverine question. I know, nobody really likes Wolverine that much, right? Anyway, uh, one time back in the Ultimates, Sabretooth was trying to drown him because he said that if he gave him a brain aneurysm, it would make him a vegetable since he can't be killed and that the tissue wouldn't regrow or something. Long story short, Wolverine kicks him in the nuts and it's a done deal. But... I started to think, what if you threw Wolverine into space? I mean, the Sentry did it with Carnage. God rest his soul. But do you think that somebody could chuck Wolverine into space or uh, engineer him to fall out of a space station? And would that indeed kill the best at what he does? Thanks, have a good one. Guys, I think a Riggins just called in. <laughs> it's, it's like it was like Riggins got lit. <laughs> it's like, it really like halfway through. I'm like, oh my god. Uh, it was. I, I I I I don't I don't know. I don't. Here's what here's what here's the way I would do it. The dude, his body wouldn't die necessarily, but it would sort of shut he down. Can't, he can't breathe without air. Yeah, but like it would just actually, go into like a stasis. It would yeah. be my idea. And then yeah. he would float aimlessly for a really long time until, you know, he hit something he, or found something and then yeah. Yeah. But even I mean, I'm no doctor. Uh, nor, nor nor do I play one on TV. And uh from what my limited amount of anatomy or, or biology knowledge, he can't breathe without, the, without air even if he has a regeneration capability. It's not like he can still manufacture oxygen, so he would he would be for all intents and purposes, he would be dead. Just that his body wouldn't decay and his cells wouldn't decay. So, well, the, right. the, but the, I, think, the I think the answer is he would be dead. But if they needed it for a story reason, he would go into a kind of hibernation and float through space, like Doomsday, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think Josh is right. He's he's dead until he basically randomly lands on a planet that has oxygen after he heals from burning up in the atmosphere. 
does the regeneration keep going when he's inanimate? It's a good question. I don't know if you need. You don't. I don't. Oh, so if he's like floating through space and he like gets he it's a satellite right. or something, okay. And like you know, so like a, a bit of his shoulder breaks because he could be frozen. Does he have to be alive to regenerate? Is your is your question? Yeah, or is it a? Does he have unkillable cells that would continue to work? Is really the question. Interesting. Oh, what if he, if he flies into a sun? Does he completely burn up? Because that would melt the adamantium. It w- which would, would it? Which would? Yeah, okay. I, mean, I guess a adamantium. Sun. Adamantium is pretty strong, but a sun is fairly hot, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not thinking of things in terms of real real physics. I know what I'm saying. Well, you have to. That's the whole. I know. Space I, know, I, know. Thing. But I mean, if, if if you think about it, the whole the whole idea is Wolverine never dies because his body's encased in adamantium, so you can't get to his brain and his his organs are pretty much safe. But if it, if the melt the metal melted, then he would have he you know. Well, the metal is not melt. even part of it. The question is how far down with the cellular and molecular structure. Of him is infused with a healing power, in which well, case the whole thing because it's genetic. It's yeah, all of his cells. So I know, but like, say that he does fly into the sun, and, and you get right down to the molecular level, or he gets broken down to the atomic level. Does he have special atoms that would then rebuild themselves up? I think it would take at least a week. <laughs> <laughs> but he would he would re he would reanimate inside the sun and just continue to continue to melt and reanimate and melt and reanimate. Yeah, and then he would that become. Would a sentient black hole that is the best he is at what he does. He'd be fucking pissed off after he came out. I want to write the story that Wolverine becomes a sentient black hole. (laughs) Wolverine colon singularity. All right, let's get one more quick one in before we go. The next question has uh, one that stumped us a bit. Hey, guys, fanboy. This is Ben from Austin, Texas. I have had the current nature, for whatever reason, to explore the wide open sea. So I was wondering, are there any comics about seafaring? Not necessarily pirate stories, just stories about characters on the sea, about the sea, in the sea, underneath the sea, 3,000 leagues underneath the sea. Anything about the sea would be nice. Uh, just really interested about seafarting journeys in, com- in comics. All right, guys. Keep the good work. Bye. Aquaman. Book it. <laughs> Book it done. On the nose. <laughs> on the nose. Two on the nose. <laughs> well, Jobs writes it. It's all f- fairly big. All the really uh, early Aquaman stories were very sea-based. They like, were a lot. There were lots of sea pirates, and yeah. there was lots of adventures on the sea. Um, people landing ships on the sea, uh, planes on the sea. Now this is a this is a tough question, uh, which is which is interesting because it should be easy for comic artists to draw the sea because it's much less background. Topo, yeah, uh, but there's <laughs> so, much less background. Yeah, it's just a waterline. It's just the what horizon. What planet are you on? No, no. <laughs> if you can draw waves, you're good to go. And then clouds. if you're above the sea. But okay, if you're, you're destroying the, the horizon. But if you're under the sea, under the sea it's no like you never really forget it. It's like you live in a Where's Waldo book. It's yeah, like there's enough. all kinds of okay. shit. Hellboy spent a long time underwater. That's at true. A certain point. That's a good one. There's some mermaids uh, and stuff. There's that. Uh, there is a top shelf book called That Salty Air th- th- by Tim Sievert, which is I think is about a guy who is angry. And tries to kill the ocean, I th- uh, if I'm remembering it correctly. You have but reminded it's, me of another top shelf book called Far Arden, which is uh, almost entirely a seafaring book, I believe. There is also um, Krogan's Vengeance from Oni mm-hmm. by Chris Schweitzer, which is a seafaring pirate story with wonderful cartooning. Is it a saltwater taffy no. Oni book? No. No? That's not, not that. Now it's kids in the. There's a sea captain. Well, guy. Yeah. wasn't Terry and the Pirates a comic? Uh, sounds yeah. 
Yes, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, yeah, that's a comic strip, and there's, yeah, there's some that stuff. Um, the new Conan book, uh, mm. Brian Wood, Road of, Kings. Road of Kings was also uh, on the sea for a bit. Yeah, so there's some, some seafaring stuff there. Watchmen. <laughs> I'm serious. The there, is a, there is a raft of dead corpses. And I, here's one that, this is a stretch, but um, the, in Starman, when Jack goes off into space, it seem, it's very nautical to me. Uh, I think the story is called Stars My Destination. But but like they're in sort of an old timey spaceship and it really feels more like they're, you know, setting sail, uh, which they would be if the story was 200 years back or something like that. That's a stretch. I will grant you. There is um, a book called Torpedo, which is about a gangster but has nothing to do with the sea. That's wrong. (laughs) There should be a Master Commander book. Uh, you, sh- you know what? If you want this, if you really, if this is really what you're looking for, just go read the Patrick O'Brien books. Don't worry about comics. Uh, that'll be all the sea that you can handle. Captain Jack Aubrey and, and Dr. Stephen Maturin. I've read three of 20. Poop decks. <laughs> <laughs> and with any, that. I don't know nautical terms. <laughs> Somewhere in the fucking bow. Mizzen mast. Yeah, so there you go. If you want to send us a voicemail, you can do so at 888-FANBOYS, which is 326-2697. Try to keep it short and to the point and and ask us your question and make sure you say who you are and even where you're from if you feel like, Uh, unless you're Riggins and you can just go on sipping your bottle. We have lots of other podcasts for you to enjoy. Normally we have the Don't Miss podcast every Monday, but this week it's taking off because it's con weekend and that's just what happens on con weekend. True enough, we have the Make Comics podcast. That's me and uh, editor Andy Schmidt of Comics Experience. And I can tell you something, we went long on the next couple of them. So they're normally 10, 15 minutes of, of, of how-to comics. We talked about uh, inspiration just this last week. And then uh, coming up, we took our first uh, listener question. I almost said viewer, but I didn't. They're uh, not viewers. No, we, no, I know. I know. I, I know. Uh, Paul, you have your own show. Tell the people about your show. I do. I do have a podcast called uh, Fuzzy Typewriter, which is also my Twitter handle. And um, it's, uh, we, we talk about uh, stories, storytellers, art, and artists. So um, we talk about movies. We talk about books. We talk about comics a lot. So the relevant episodes to you, comic readers, are we recently talked to uh, Gabriel Hardman and Karina Bechko about their, uh, their series um, Betrayal of the Planet of the Apes and the upcoming Exile on the Planet of the Apes, as well as that whole movie franchise. Franchise. That was a lot of fun. They love the apes. They do. And it's <laughs> <laughs> they love apes. Apes love. <laughs> they love apes. Um, so we, yeah, we had we had fun on that episode. Uh, also recently, uh, we did an episode talking about uh, the whole before Watchmen kerfuffle. And if you sorry, go, the what? I don't know. What that uh, <laughs> and um, you don't have to listen to that one. I It'll recently had a procedure feed, that 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 removed just unpleasant memories from my brain. So watch, ready? Hank Pym. I don't know. Is, what is that? What? See, Who? nothing. He's got no He played idea. for the Raiders in 1972? Yeah. It was a t- tailback. <laughs> ta- I was going to say tailback because it's a funny word. Yes. I tell you uh, one thing. You, I tell you one you, thing about Fuzzy Typewriter Podcast. Scotty Young loves that show. That's, there's your celebrity endorsement. It's true. He really gonna, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, hopefully we're going to have Scotty on at some point soon. Oh, he'll to, talk. To talk about the so, <laughs> yeah. so. He'll talk. He'll do it. So come and, come and, come and join the fun. Where can people find that? Go into iTunes, search Fuzzy Typewriter, um, or go to www.fuzzytypewriter.com. 
And after you look at that, go to ifanboy.com. You can read my pick of the week review. You can read Josh's book of the month review for one more week at least. That's in parentheses. Uh, <laughs> and meanwhile, you can check out all the different discussion. There was something about Hank Pym. There was something about The Watchmen. There was other things going on. All the big news happens at ifanboy.com. You can go there and check it out. You go to ifanboy.com slash about, see our staff list, find our social network links, be our friend online. You can go to twitter.com slash ifanboy, follow us there. You can go to facebook.com slash ifanboy, follow us there, get all the updates. And we have a video show that's still on hiatus because we are still trying to figure out what we're going to do. There's a lot going on. Uh, you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com or leave a voicemail at 1-888-FANBOYS. That's 326-2697 with any questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, etc. And if you like this show, uh, one of the best ways to, to help us out is to go write a review on iTunes or other places that would do review podcasts, I guess. But the, but the more that are there and the more uh, things people are saying, out, the more people are talking about, the better for us. Uh, if you can help spread the word about the shows or the website or anything and your various uh, web travels, either socially networked or otherwise, uh, the better. And uh, if you can, you know, just want to tell people about it, say, hey, I think you'd like this show, this website, that is a huge uh, help for us. And we really appreciate it every time uh, somebody does it. So uh, then that's all that we have for you. We made it, guys. I'm going to go read up a nautical terms. Oh, man. There's a chart at the beginning Trident. of each Aubrey Maturin book that, that diagrams sea all the... Sea cucumber. Ooh. <laughs> Gooey duck. Porpoise. <laughs> Porpoise. Did you grow up on the sea, Paul? I did. It's my first love. <laughs> all right. Until next week, I'm Connor. I'm Paul. I'm Josh. My, my whole family is seafaring folks. I don't know. Squat. Coral. This the engine is warm. I think of home, I think of the sweet ride. A sweating sunshine and sandals and shorts. We have the feet.